And then there is this bigger, longer-term issue of one generation's responsibility to the other for the things that they leave behind which will impact the world. Welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob. And I'm Jackson. Welcome back, everybody. We're coming at you uh, with another great script this week. It's great to kind of have uh, uh, kind of be mid-season on this on this on this season and getting the chance to kind of talk about the the breadth of plays that we've had the chance to talk about and uh, have the chance to jump into this particular script today. We are talking about The Children by Lucy Kirkwood. This is, uh, I think it'll be a really cool conversation in terms of the kinds of different plays that we've talked about this uh, season. This one is uh, among the most different for its kind of uh, vision of the future, for its style of playwriting. I mean, we've done some really cool stuff already, and because I know what we've got coming, I know we've got some cool stuff. But, like, under-the-radar cool story and vision for ethics and for the world and for frankly, some problems that our society is going to face and is facing now uh, and and just an interesting voice on it. It is. Yeah, it, 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 it through, through like a really endearing relationship, it asks really big questions, um, which is uh, going to be just a uh, yeah, fast, fascinating play. I'm excited for the conversation around it because it sort of holds critique really interestingly um and uh and and presents it in a really interesting fashion uh in 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 so yeah so excited excited to jump into the conversation around it for sure yeah before we start talking about the children though i think it is worth noting that we are uh releasing a special episode just a few episodes from now we won't tell you what it is yet perhaps we will reveal that fully in the next episode but we want everybody to know super special episode coming out if you're with us week to week it's going to be near the end of october that we will release this special conversation we've hinted at it a little bit in the past already, and now it is right on the horizon. So keep your eyes peeled for a special announcement and a special conversation for No Script, something I don't think we've done before. I think this was was unprecedented conversation for No Script. Very excited about that, but let's not let that take away from the really cool play we've got to talk about today. Yes, indeed. So get excited for that. We're about to jump into that conversation as we do at the beginning of these conversations, though. We'd love to take a second and just thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast for being patrons of the show. Thank you all so much. It really means a ton to have you along on this journey with us. Um, those of you who are longtime listeners of the show, or even if you're just kind of jumping into the show uh, right now, you might want to avail yourselves of the community that is kind of growing ever over on patreon.com slash noscript. 
Transcript Podcast. The patrons over there really, really help out the show. We, we, there's, there's costs associated with running a podcast, as many people know. Feels like a lot of people have a podcast, um, and there's, and and you might well know that that there's quite a bit of costs associated with it. Let alone the uh, hosting, production, time in, and then also the scripts that we buy each week, kind of bringing conversation on some of these scripts that perhaps you've heard of and perhaps you've not. So if you're looking for a way to help out the show, it's a great way to help out the show. It's also a great way to kind of get integrated into the community a little bit more. You get access to patron-only posts. Um, you get access to the scripts ahead of time. You probably know what the super secret surprise is if you're over there um, on patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. So, so there's lots of fun ways for you to interact with the NoScript community and with the show over there. Thank you to all of our patrons who uh, have already made the decision to become patrons of the show. And if you're looking for a way to help out the show, head on over to patreon.com slash podcast and we will see you over there. And now back to the script. There we go. Cool. Okay, so hey, Lucy Kirkwood, new playwright to the podcast. So we will take just a few moments to briefly introduce her. Um, she is a, a British playwright and is really a mainstay over in the UK. Um, we do we have a, a, a let's say a strong bias towards American playwrights on this podcast because of who we are and where we are. But every once in a while, we love to just turn our attention to the incredible work that's happening in the UK and elsewhere in the world. And so this is that kind of episode today. Lucy Kirkwood is a playwright who has, uh, seems like a pretty robust relationship with the Royal Court Theatre in London, which is a fairly major theatre. A lot of her work is done there. She's involved in some really cool projects over there. Uh, Kirkwood was born and raised in the UK and is a product of the education system there, absolutely. Um, some of the plays of hers that you might know, she is behind uh, one of the more famous adaptions of Hedda Gabler, an adaption just called Hedda, which you may very well have seen advertisements for out there. She's behind a Beauty and the Beast adaption that became uh, had a little bit of buzz in 2010. It was at the National Theater, Hansel and Gretel adaption that was at the National Theater. She has been selected and um, is writing a new musical adaption of Roald Dahl's famous story, The Witches. Roald Dahl's uh, library is currently in the middle of being uh, turned into great films and plays in part due to the popularity of the BFG movie and, of course, the stage musical of Matilda. And so there's a whole bunch of Roald Dahl projects in the world right now. And she is behind a musical adaption of The Witches, which I suppose will be coming out sometime in the next couple of years. One uh, kind of early career project of Lucy Kirkwood's that seems like such a cool concept to me that I wanted to bring it up. Um, she brought one of her early plays, a play called Geronimo, to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. But she didn't just bring the play. She brought the play as a project. And actually that will come up in another project of hers I want to describe later, this idea that there is a, an overarching thing and within that thing is a play. So the overarching project that she brought to Edinburgh uh, Fringe is it was called The Umbilical Project. And basically what it was, was two productions of a new play, the same play, the same script, Geronimo, written by her, and that those two productions differed 
um, in the production team that was behind them. So they were called the cut version and the uncut version, referring to an umbilical cord, of course. Um, and the cut umbilical cord production was an entirely separate production team from Lucy Kirkwood. It was a, they hired on a director and a design team and a cast, and they went and rehearsed the show having nothing to do with Lucy Kirkwood at all. They got the script, they went and created a production of it. The uncut, again, referring to an umbilical cord version of the production, was directed, her own script was directed by Lucy Kirkwood. So there were two versions of the play bought brought to the film festival and these are the fringe festival and these two versions had nothing to do with each other at all in terms of a relationship between the productions except that they worked on the same script and one of them was directed by the playwright and one of them was directed by just a separate director and uh in i know just a super cool idea i do some work with new plays at my university and that's always i think an interesting you know view how involved is the playwright in a new production of their work and this project in which was a play certainly was explored by Lucy, Lucy Kirkwood some of her titles include Guns and Butter, Tinderbox, we've talked about Hedda and Beauty and the Beast. Um, she had a couple of great, great plays, one called uh, NSFW, of course, Not Safe for Work, uh, which premiered at the Royal Court Theater. Um, probably her most lauded play was a play called Chimerica, which premiered at the Almeida Theater and then had a life on the West End um, and won several awards. Uh, this play, 2016, The Children, she had a, a play premiere at the National Theater called Mesquite. Um, in 2020, I imagine shut down by the COVID pandemic was a play called The Welkin. Um, and then another one of those interesting play within a project ideas is a play that she created with the Royal Court Theater in 2022, wherein a false title and playwright were advertised as being the production put on by the Royal Court Theater, and then the audience would show up, and the premise of the actual theater event that they attended was that the Royal Court Theater was putting on this docudrama about sort of lost faith in UK government, and that the, the government was trying to shut down the production. And so they were producing it under the guise of this false title and playwright that they had publicly advertised to the audience. And, and Kirkwood appeared as a sort of character, sometimes played by her, sometimes not actually played by her. But the idea was that Lucy Kirkwood's play was so secret, had to be so covertly produced because the government was trying to shut it down that they had to advertise it under this false title. Again, a very cool idea of like a theater event happening within a larger project. Uh, Lucy Kirkwood is well awarded on the uh, sort of UK theater award scene, um, but also play uh, awards that have been awarded to playwrights that we've talked about in the past. In 2010, she won the John Whitting Award. She was nominated for the Susan Smith Blackburn Prize in 2010 and then won it in 2014. In 2013, she won the Berlin Lee UK Playwrights Award. She uh, was nominated for an Olivier Award for Best New Play. That was Jamaica. 2018, she was named a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature in this uh, initiative it's had for kind of under 40 working artists. She's a commission from the Manhattan Theater Club. Um, 
this play, the children specifically, I'm just going to mostly talk about its early, early life so that we have time to jump into the conversation. Um, it premiered in 2016 in the Royal, at the Royal Court Theater, as I said, and then it transferred to Broadway and played on Broadway, a three-hander by a British playwright, transferred and got some decent reviews on Broadway in 2017, including a nomination for an outstanding new Broadway Play Award by the Outer Critics Circle. Um, it was also nominated in 2018 for a Tony Award for Best Play and Best Performance by a Featured Actor. Since then, kind of a regional theater life sort of play. Um, uh, we talk a lot about plays that have university life. This one is not one of those because all three characters are in their 60s. But a really cool play, really cool premise, and I'm excited to hear about that from Jackson. Yeah, yeah. So uh, kind of jumping into some uh, synopsis of, of this particular play, Um just to give us a kind of similar starting ground to start with, this play kind of deals with the, um, you know, it's it's sort of sort of a, a fictional story, but not really. Um, there's there's, I mean, it is. It's 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 uh, centers on an event that that uh, doesn't happen, but that is very inspired by a real life event. And of course, that real life event is the kind of meltdown of the Fukushima plant, uh, that nuclear reactor, and the kind of ensuing fallout of that, um, of that disaster that happened. Um, but this play is set in England. This play is set, uh, uh on the, uh, kind of shore area of, of England. Um, the three characters in this play are Rose, Robin, and Hazel. Hazel. <laughs> yep. Um, uh, Rose, Robin, and Hazel are the three kind of main characters. It's in Robin and Hazel's house that this play is set. Um, these are three longtime friends who are meeting each other again for the first time in a long time. And the reasons for that are slowly revealed throughout the play. The play begins with Hazel and Rose um, uh, hanging out in there in this house which we find out later is not uh, fully Hazel and Mark's house, but it's the house that they're living in now. Um, and uh, she's kind of arrived for the first time in a long time. It's a really interesting start to a play. Rose comes in having just kind of experienced this very bloody nose. Um, and so they're trying to fix the problem of Rose's bloody nose right away. And there's this kind of like initial awkwardness between these two because we discover that Rose has not seen Hazel in many years. I think I think the, the it's something around 30 years. It's been a long time since they've been together um throughout the events of the play we find out a little bit more information i'll give it to you ahead of time instead of as it is revealed slowly through the play but they worked together a long time ago on a nuclear power plant um they uh were are are all uh, physicists um and and uh are are were, were an integral part of working on a power plant i believe the power plant that we later discover is the one that melted down um, which is the kind of big event that happened prior to the events of the play. The power plant near um, Hazel and Robin's house has melted down, and that's why they're kind of in this other house um, that a friend of theirs gave them and are kind of going through some odd things. We find out slowly more and more of these odd things. The power doesn't work all the time. So she's they're making kind of cold meals. They're boiling tea once early in the morning and using a thermos to make tea later on throughout the play. So all this stuff is really expertly, slowly revealed as these characters are talking, catching up essentially on, on each other's lives, on uh, where Rose has been this whole time. She's been off in America working, working in her field over in America. Uh, she, we learn a 
little bit more about Hazel um, and and Robin and some of their kids. Hazel, though, especially in this kind of early part of the play, reveals the event of the meltdown, that she was home when the meltdown happened, a big earthquake happened that caused the meltdown. And uh, the flood that ensued, the boiling of the water, like the ocean, <laughs> um, as a result of the meltdown and her eventual retreat away from the fallout zone. Um, we also learned that she and uh, Robin have been kind of building this micro farm for like their retirement. Again, all the characters are kind of in their 60s. Um, and so they're, they've been building this micro farm and working on it. And that micro farm is where Robin is at the start of the play, uh, assumedly. Um, or uh, that's what Hazel says is where he is. He's down at the, the farm taking care of the animals that have managed to survive the fallout. Um, uh, and somewhat riskily risking himself to go down and... Uh, and be in that area and still kind of continue to take care of their livestock. So, um, uh, on the kind of conversation goes, Rose and Hazel kind of continue to converse, um, uh, and, and they kind of talk about the disaster. Eventually, Robin comes back home, um, and he kind of crashes in, and again, there's this kind of meeting of friends. There's, uh, there's kind of this initial awkwardness of like, oh my goodness, I haven't seen you in 30 years, you should stop by more often, blah, 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 which is quickly turned on its head. As soon as you think you know what's going on with this play, it turns it on its head. As soon as Hazel steps outside of the room, Robin gets very familiar with uh with rose and we discover that kind of once every like i think once every 10 years or something like that or once a year maybe um they've been kind of on this on again off again affair whenever they happen to kind of cross paths that they're trying to keep secret from hazel um and so so you so that element is kind of thrown into it of oh oh uh, robin and rose have this kind of affair that they're that they're keeping under the table at least or at least trying to keep under the table Again, Hazel comes in and uh, eventually wine is poured, inhibitions are removed, and on goes the evening. Um, we find out more and more about Hazel and Robin, that they have this uh, kind of troubled relationship with their daughter who is going through a lot of things, and they kind of reveal that, wondering around what it will take for her to grow up, and kind of, she's left the nest, but has she really left the nest? All this sort of stuff is getting talked about. Eventually, uh... Throughout the course of the conversation, throughout some uh, kind of uh, uh, reveals around uh, uh, around uh, why Rose is there, uh, Rose admits that she has come uh, specifically as a result of the disaster. She heard about the disaster um, and uh, the fact that this this uh, nuclear reactor has melted down, and she knows that the people working there are relatively young people, and so she's kind of organizing this effort to bring kind of older, again, they're just in their 60s, but older uh, retired physicists to go work the plant uh, in this fallout and try to address the issue and allow these younger folks to go home and, and try to mitigate the, uh, effect, the long-term effects of nuclear exposure to them. This is met with kind of shock by the by especially Hazel, but both Hazel and Robin initially, um, and they they kind of are especially Hazel is reviled at the idea. She uh, she has a pretty poignant story that I'm sure we'll get to around like how they've been committed to uh, cleaning up the world behind them this whole time, and so for this one instance where this fallout happened, they just left their house and left it lie. Um, and so she kind of has this like I did my part. I, I've worked really hard my whole life. Why am I going back in basically to die? Um, how dare you ask me to do that? She storms off. 
Another revelation comes when Robin and Rose are left in the room together that Ro that Rose has gone through uh, a bout of cancer treatment, that she had a double hysterectomy, that she has um, uh, kind of uh, survived cancer, um, which is new news to to Robin. Um, uh, so uh, so that so we know that they've they <laughs> they haven't seen each other at least in a little while, um, and so they kind of continue to to uh, deal with both the, the grief of that, but then also the ask from Rose as Rose continues to try to convince at least Robin to go back to the plant. Eventually, Hazel comes in, and we have kind of sprinkled throughout, but towards the end especially, there is more and more acknowledgement of Robin's unfaithfulness. There is uh, a milkmaid who worked at the farm. She know We know that Hazel uh, Hazel knows that he had affairs with other women on the team back in the days at the, the, the power plant and things like that when they were working together. So there's all of this tension continues to get uh, bubbled up and talked about throughout all of the events of the play. To kind of wrap up the kind of broad sweeps of the play, though, eventually Rose does convince Robin to um, go back to the power plant. Um, Hazel is still very much on the fence towards the end of the play. Um, in fact, I don't, I mean, I, I, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts, whether you think Hazel is going to go to the power plant or not. But she starts calling them a taxi. They start packing up. Um, there's this kind of continued... Uh, um, angst in the room as a result of that, as a result of also knowing that now Hazel knows that they've had an affair um, and that, that Robin has had affairs throughout their, their marriage as well. The, the, the play ends with a pretty poignant uh, yoga movement routine, um, as well as there's a pretty poignant dance number earlier in the play too, but the play sort of wraps up in this sort of moment of transition for these characters as they're kind of making the choice especially at least Robin and Rose are making the choice to go to the plant to let some of the younger folks uh, leave the plant. Rose has organized a crew of like, she has asked like a hundred people and like 20 have said yes or something like that um, to kind of go and trade out these younger physicists from the plant to try to address the issue. Um, but the play ends with this sort of like continued tension around that choice. The knowledge that going to the plant means that they will likely die within 15 years um, as a result of the exposure to the radiation. So it's a weighty play with a whole lot of stuff floating around <laughs> of, of these revelations that keep coming out over and over. Every time you think you know what the play is about, there's like one more revelation that is slowly unpacked and unveiled for you to grapple with. Yeah, and there, there's just so much in there of these delightful uh, layers, uh, little kind of clues, little clever character writing. One thing that I didn't catch until I had read through it a couple of times is early in the play, Hazel and Robin, or I'm sorry, Hazel and Rose are talking about um, previous uh, people that they've had romantic relationships with. And Rose mentions uh, a guy who smoked a cigarette in such a way that she found so incredibly attractive. Um, yeah. And then much, much later, and she and Hazel says, well, who was that? And Rose says, oh, it was this guy in America I knew, basically. And then much later in the play, very near the end, uh, you see Rose in the room as Robin is smoking a cigarette, and the body language descriptions in the stage directions make it very clear that he is the man that she was talking about from so long ago. And that's not like the biggest, oh my gosh, kind of revelation in the world, but it's a delightful little like sort of setup clue and payoff clue. And this play is full of that kind of really smart character writing. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teeing something up that pays off twenty pages later. Um, that 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 sort of uh, is is very much a very witty, very sharp, very funny play. These characters are are kind of constantly kind of poking at each other and 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 uh, ribbing each other. They're you know that you definitely get this like very comfortable old friends sort of interaction. Um, that have had a 30 year break. And so there's also the awkwardness of trying to find each other again. Um, as, as, uh, as, as the slow revelations continue to happen of how, um, how much has been kind of lost for them. Certainly, certainly so much has been lost for Robin and, and Hazel recently in the loss of their home in the loss of their farm. Oh, we discover, I, I, I forgot to mention in my synopsis, we discover that the farm that Robin continually is going to, to take care of the cows, quote unquote, um, the cows didn't survive. It's just, he's basically, he's been lying to Hazel cause he knows that she loved the cows and wanted to convince her that they were still alive, but he's been going to the farm to bury the cows and to, uh, kind of, uh, deal with the, <laughs> deal with the fallout uh, on their farm. So there's a lot of loss that they're going through. And that's even, it makes the decision even stranger towards the end of the play, because I, I think you can sort of, uh, the the negotiation around the farm early, although we don't see it happen much on stage, is that Hazel basically says, well, he goes to feed the cows and take care of them, and I don't really want him to do it because it will make him very sick, but he, you know, he wants to go take care of the cows. What are you going to do? And then later in the play that you find out he's you're like you say he's not going to take care of the cows at all but it's not like he's not going right it'd be one thing if he was like and I just go sit in the coffee shop downtown right and, <laughs> so I'd make her believe that I'm going for some strange reason he's still going into this irradiated zone this dangerous sick making zone but it's just to bury the corpses of these dead cows which is a lot of risk and 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 health danger to take on on to bury some cows right for sure yeah 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 you get the sense that he's like yeah it, it sort of backs up his decision at the end it seems like he's a little less afraid <laughs> of of the fallout than hazel is hazel has some really like um uh, uh compelling lines um in this play around like you know if only my, my like hazel i feel like hazel is the one who is fully grappling with what she has to lose um, if she is going to die from this fallout, either either the fallout uh, from the disaster itself and her running away or the the going into the plant and exposing herself to the radiation. She has these lines about like, my grandma died beyond her hundreds. If only I was living in the Mediterranean, everyone would appreciate me for my age instead of this. Uh, she kind of like has this sort of like societal critique of of uh United Kingdom because that's where it's set um but really capitalist structure in general um uh the the uh sort of like you once you hit 60 you are done like your usefulness is done and so might as well just shove you off to the plant to go to go die for the sake of the younger ones who will still be able to work for a while as uh, the kind of critique she levels uh both at the government but also at Rose who uh, is kind of showing up to try to ask her and guilt her into going at least from Hazel perspective yeah th this play is so interesting to me because of on all the different levels it operates on there's this human story of old friends who you know was were used to having you know at, at some point in the past there were an, uh, there was an affair and there was a all this stuff that like you know that kind of stuff appears in a lot of plays and never ceases to be interesting fodder for drama so there's that great level and then there's this 
environmental critique sort of level, the kind of thing that would yeah. make this a great like, you know, play in the midst of our climate change times about like what what responsibility do generations have to leave things in such a shape for their children to to take care of things and leave them in a place that their children will benefit from them and not be poisoned by them and, and things like that. So there's that that level. And then there's this other level that you're describing about like what does it mean – like what are the obligations of the older living generation? Hazel certainly presents this attitude and, and she – I think you described it well. She has this moment where that it's after their house has sort of been filled up with water in the flood and earthquake that causes the nuclear fallout and and she says – you know, basically, we Robin and I have spent our whole lives being good people. We clean up after ourselves. We clean up after other people. When we go camping, we bring extra, extra trash bags. Like we've done all this, and now we're old. We're older. She has a strange like back and forth about being old. She's like not old. Like I'm not old, but also like I'm old enough to avoid some of this responsibility. And basically says like we shouldn't have to clean this one up. You know, we've done this all along. And there is a there is this sort of running theme under there about Hazel being a person who takes care of her body. Like that becomes a really important feature of this play is like she eats healthy and she exercises and she has a lot to say about like preserving her body so that she can enjoy her life into old age. And of course, what Rose is presenting is in contrast to that. And then we learn that what Robin has been doing is in contrast to that as well. Yeah, yeah. Robin, Robin, interestingly, so so certainly, yeah. So what they've been doing is in contrast to it. Just the way they live their lives is in contrast to it. Interestingly, Robin also provides the contrasting viewpoint to uh, Hazel's viewpoint of like longevity is good I should be I should be respected for my longevity Robin has this really interesting line where he's reflecting on their daughter Lauren who is basically just going through some uh, some really hard times uh, some some kind of heightened anxiety times these she's she has kind of a generalized anxiety and so she is still really connected to her family in a lot of ways and they're trying to figure out a way to help her navigate this and one of the ways that Robin talks about is well you know, when we're gone, she'll have to figure it out. <laughs> and he has this like reflection on, um, you know, what, uh, what it would, what it's like in the kind of current modern society of uh, the elders of the family living on quite a long time, and how that's very different from the way humanity has evolved uh, for for many for a long time. So he wonders around, you know, when is it our responsibility to stop? trying so hard when is our when is it our responsibility to lie down um and and allow the next generation to lead as well so all of that is in there when is all of the uh, sort of when or at what age do you take responsibility for uh generational things either either uh, effects or ills or goods um and then at what time do you lay down the responsibility and find a way to step out of the way for the next generation to take over. All of that is in this place. Wild. Well, and and it's what's so uh, compelling to me is the, the that that question is not 
it's not in this play possible to answer one way or the other as a yes or no because there are different yeah. types of responsibility. This play examines the the responsibility of one generation to another on different planes. There is this like everyday life responsibility that Hazel and Robin negotiate about their parenting of their kids. Robin, I mean, even before the the issue of the reactor and, and their potential death comes up, Robin is not pleased that Hazel sort of maintains as a, he thinks, as a crutch for their daughter to sort of continue to be dependent on them. Now, I, I, I first of all, I will say I'm not totally sure that Lucy Kirkwood's perspective is that Robin is right and Hazel is wrong about that. I mean, I, I certainly think that it's yeah. an, it, there's this back and forth case about like, you know, Robin has this perspective of we ought to, he sort, he sort of says, he swears, he says, we have an obligation at some point to just sort of F off and let them figure it out for themselves. And Hazel, you know, is trying to be involved and um, not uh, trying to be an asset and a comfort and a help to her, you know, now in her mid 30s daughter. And I don't know that Lucy comes down one way or the other hard on like, parents of a certain age need to leave their kids alone or, or anything like that. But it is a question that is explored. The responsibility of one generation to be a crutch and a dependence and a, a support to another generation in the everyday life stuff. So there, the issue is explored there. And then there is this bigger, longer term issue of one generation's responsibility to the other for the things that they leave behind, which will impact the world. I mean, it, it's so compelling to me that this play ends with Robin making a case that he and Hazel should leave their daughter alone to figure life out for herself, even while the thing that they're doing is going to relieve all of these mid-30, like the exact same age they're talking about, Rose is very clear about that, nuclear theor, uh, physicists, and relieve them so that they don't, you know, get all this radiation and ruin their life, that all these older physicists should go take over for them. I mean, literally do the opposite of the thing he's proposing that he and Hazel ought to do in their parenting life. Right, right. Yeah, the, the, um, I think that's so, so, so Rose, Rose kind of flagships that other option you were talking about around this, like, kind of societal responsibility. What's the, what's the, what's our obligation? And what's notably, our Notably, Rose doesn't have kids. I, I think just to, to right. make that point even clear that she represents this other side. Like, she never had kids. And so she's only got this one view of responsibility. Right, right. So it's very clear to her, I think, that the reason why, like, uh, the reason why she's gathering this group of people is because it's very clear to her that she feels the responsibility is in that zone for her. You also get this is the piece, like, some this this play is really good because it is it is this like sort of like piecing together all the information, and I think I piece this together correctly. But there's this this um, when we're talking about responsibility, she also bears the um, kind of personal responsibility for this plant in some way. She has a short paragraph, but I believe it is talking about the power plant that melted down that talks about how we designed the power plant with generators in the basement. So we, and, and we, sh we should have looked forward to think what happens if an earthquake happens, it floods the basement and you can't get the doors open to the nuclear reactor to do it, go, run it through its shutdown that isn't happening because the generators aren't running. So, so you have her as well, kind of 
really leaning into the, not only just as a societal, we're astrophysicists and we worked on this project, so maybe we should like, you know, help out the next generation, yay, science and progress. Really specifically, I think she's saying, this is on us. We did this. Um, we should be the ones who help fix the problem and get some people out of the way of the problem because it's on, it's on us. It happened on our watch and not only on our watch, but we designed it the way that it is. Well, yeah, I think that I totally agree with that. This responsibility that the, the personal responsibility that she feels for the power plant, this thing that is poisoning their environment, that the, the, the risk that as it's laid out in the play, the urgency is that the flooding is continuing and they only have so much time left before this nuclear, I guess it's waste or product or something, spills out into the ocean. That, that all of the storage tanks and underground generators and whatever that they designed are about to fail and send all of this into the ocean. So the, the, that's why they're – all that to say, that's why there's still people working at this nuclear right. power plant even after it's undergone <laughs> this terrible environmental disaster that's left it poison that whoever is in charge basically still sends people – is sending teams in to try to fix this before it spills into the ocean. And so Rose's – personal feeling of responsibility about that problem, preventing that from happening, but also not getting a bunch of young people with families and futures ahead of them poisoned is, is certainly the, con, the, the, the moral uh, direction for her across the course of the play. And all of this fits, I mean, the, the title, I think, just so speaks to what we're talking yeah. about. It may be strange for you if you didn't know that the play is called The Children and it's about three people in their 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it is interesting. I think the title in this case really does lean us into the question that we've been discussing for the last 10 minutes or so, this, like, responsibility question. Um, Because a lot of the rest of the play is this, like, still very interesting examination of these friends and how they've lived their lives and how they're still interacting with each other. This sort of, like... um. The sort of uh, the the wastes of time, I guess, is how I'll try to lead up into it. But you certainly like you have Hazel, who is taking care of herself her whole life. She has this hope that she's going to live into her hundreds, and then you have Rose, who is just like she's going through it. Like she's just had a rough, <laughs> a rough ride. This whole th right away at the start of the play, there's there's all of this kind of uh, body stuff happening to her. She comes in with a bloody nose. We find out more and more about how her cancer has affected her life. At one point, Hazel in anger towards her and. And her relationship with Robin rips her wig off of her head. And we discover that she is wearing a wig for the first time uh, quite late in the play. So so you have this like uh, pretty significant stuff that just this couple is or this 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 friend group is going through that is all super interesting on its own. Um, and yet this the, the title also like doesn't let you forget that it is talking of also voicing this bigger this bigger question, this bigger question mark for these characters and thus for society, what is our responsibility to the next generation? 
I find it interesting because that question comes so forcibly down to Hazel at the end of the play. And, and, and it's set up at just in terms of brilliant stagecraft writing where Hazel is this, you know, has, as we've discussed, has kept up her, her health and her fitness and her well-being so well. And then in the end of the play, of the three characters, you get uh, Robin ends up coughing up blood, the sickness and the radiation that he's been putting yeah. himself through to bury these cows manifests visually, viscerally, tangibly. And then, as you just described, Hazel pulls the wig off of Rose. So you see the cancer, the sickness. I don't think it's related to radiation we're meant to believe. Although I think that question is still in the air. She was a nuclear physicist. So like maybe maybe that implication is supposed to be there or not, whatever. She also smokes all the time. So all that to say, you get these two of the three characters with very visceral, tangible, visceral, uh, visual rather representations of sickness of the ways in which their bodies are have failed them or have are, are, are impeded or are you know do not have the same level of health and well-being that hazel's body has and hazel is the one left sort of undecided at the end of the play I do wish, I think, that the that the phone conversation with Hazel and their daughter had been something that had happened. Um, they talk about after Robin decides to go, Rose sort of uses that to sort of say, and you're coming too, Hazel. And Hazel's a little bit resistant, but they do have discussions about what that would look like. And one of the things that Rose says is you probably ought to call your kids and tell them, you know, that you're going to do this, that you may very well die. And then uh, their daughter, Lauren, calls again. She's called throughout the play. And Hazel sets up to tell her, but then passes the phone on to Robin. And Robin takes that phone off stage to have that conversation with their daughter. And, and to me, because Hazel ends up being come so crystal clear, like what is her decision going to be there at the end of the play because of the title, because of her uh, relationship with the daughter. There's just like part of me that wishes that we had had that phone call. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It would it would definitely shed some light on what what's kind of going through her head at the end of it, because she she has this great um she has this line that happens somewhat frequently that cues up the end of the plane so well, play so well. I have I, somewhat frequently by, I, I mean, twice for sure. Um, but there's a repetition of this line of like, if I don't do this now, it won't get done and I'll regret it tomorrow. Um, like this is this is the time that I, uh, I think it was, I think this is the time that I wind up the radio. And if I don't wind up the radio, I won't have it tomorrow. Um, this is the time that I do my yoga routine. routine and if I don't do it, I'll regret it tomorrow. Um, so, so you have this kind of like um, a rote, sort of uh, um, th uh, process that, that Hazel is going through at the end um, of the play. This, this yoga routine that Rose joins in and you just desperately want to know what else is what else Hazel is thinking about in that last moment. And I agree if, if we had had the phone call, we might have a little more to go off of, but at least for me, I'd be interested to know what, what you think. At least for me, I'm still left hanging a little bit um, in terms of like whether Hazel is going or not. I feel like there's a strong likelihood that she might get cajoled into it, but there's also a strong likelihood that she says, you know, you guys <laughs> do your thing, head on out <laughs> and I'll figure it out back here. Um, but she, I don't, I don't see her committing I, necessarily one way or another. I mean, I, what, what we don't have is her saying, yes, I will go. Um, yeah, I, I do tend to think that she has agreed to go. 
by the end of the play. Um, it, it, what she has definitely agreed to do is go with them in the taxi to get the cash for the taxi driver. But that very much to me feels like um, that that what she she just can't force herself to plan to go. That if she goes along for this step, she'll go along for the next mm, step yeah. and the next step. Um, that they're doing this yoga together at the end of the play and the, the church bells, which are kind of a metaphor throughout are ringing. And these church bells are the bells of a, like a long lost Viking village that is, that fell off the cliff of this Island. That's the other thing is that the Island sort of disintegrating, uh, due to erosion and stuff like that. But anyway, the, the, the bells of this Viking village, which are meant to sort of symbolize, I think some things that are lost, end up playing there t- together towards the end of the play. But what really gets me is the the line that um, Hazel says where she talks about how she doesn't know how to want less. And I think the implication there is I mm. don't know how to want less from life. I don't know how to just like agree to do something that will kill me. And to me, that tells me that this is what she wants to do and she is having a hard time forcing herself to live into doing it. And so the daily routines of things like yoga are, are she's going to continue to do them. But it's my sense that there has been a yes, I'm going to go, but I just can't admit it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the other I think the other piece that could add credence to to that particular argument is the way the the cab conversation goes. She kind of continuously says, "No, no, it's just the two of them. They're going to come out. Don't worry, blah 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 blah. See you soon." And she kind of hangs up the phone and then she turns to to Rose and says, "You know what? I better come with you at least to the point that he drops you off because uh, he's a very nice man, but sometimes he like makes you <laughs> makes you take more money or something like that or takes more of your money well, or something like that. Even to the cab driver, I mean, we don't hear his side of the conversation, but it does seem like the thing he asks her over and over is, are you going to? And she responds yeah. with things like, I might do. I said I might do. I haven't decided yet. Um, yep. And, and so it comes down to this line I don't know how to want less. It comes just before the phone conversation, the phone conversation that Rose has been indicating that she ought to have with her daughter if they're going to do this. And when their daughter calls right there after I don't know how to want less. Now, again, I I sort of wish we had had that conversation out on stage one way or the other. But regardless, she does seem to indicate to Robin, I want you to tell her what's going to happen. I can't do it. And again, this is another one of those spots where you see Hazel like, I am committing to this course of action, but I just can't do it verbally. I just can't plan on it. I know it's what's going to happen, but the the planning for it, I just can't find it in myself to do. I don't know how to want less from my life. I'm going to do this, but I just can't admit it. I just have to go Mm -hmm. on as if it's not going to happen. So, Robin, you have the conversation with our daughter. I'm going to do my yoga tonight just like I always do. But we all know what's coming next. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like the I like that she just can't admit it. And certainly like if this was on if the, this was on its feet, there's ways that you can kind of clue in that that's happening. Um uh the sort of like the the sort the, the sort of blocking sorts of things towards that end ending of the play the way the actor portrays Hazel um in those last moments can lead you towards that but it is it is uh, again this this play does a great job of like 
teeing things up and letting you find the discovery. Um, that's not a great way to use that analogy. Teeing things up and letting you hit the golf ball would be a way to use that analogy correctly. But but like just just like seeding the little the little things in there that allow you to do the finishing work of listening to these characters well and kind of going on your own personal journey <laughs> of discovery with them as they as they wander through this this mor- morass of responsibility so do you and and uh kind of get to ride along with them as they figure it out well yeah and it, all of the clues that Lucy Kirkwood layers in are just brilliant i love 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 the stage directions that she gives early in the play when it's just Rose and Hazel. And there are all these stage directions about how comfortable Rose is in this little cottage, despite the premise being, of course, that she's never been there before. Why would she? It's this cottage that their cousin lent them when the house fell apart. So why would she ever have been here? But she comes in and she is able to like immediately pull this footstool out where she wouldn't have been able to see it. She knows where the glasses are kept. All of this stuff. She knows how the door operates you know all this different stuff and it of course in your head you're like oh, she's been here before i wonder what's going on and then it pays so off later on because then the audience is given the oh they've had an affair so you get that okay i was right about that is what i mean at least i said to myself she's been here before she must have had an affair and then to discover that hazel noticed it and points it out later in the play i mean there's just such yep. brilliant bread crumb crumb work done all throughout yeah, yeah, it's a it's a great play of like it, like keeps you on your toes. It's also like fast paced, and there's there's lots of this this kind, of, especially that early bit when you're trying to piece together so much information, learn these characters, learn what that could be going on, learn the prior events of the 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 meltdown that happened. There's lots of like really um, interrupty lines. Um, this this play uh, takes full use of of various sorts of punctuation to try to capture the sort of overlay interruption of uh, awkward friends or, or good friends coming back together awkwardly of like missing the timing on each other for especially the first half of the play. There's a lot of like trying to say something. Someone interrupts with an offer for tea. Oh, yes. Respond to the offer for tea. Finish the thing I was saying. Thanks for the tea. What's up with you? Oh, sorry. Here's your thing. <laughs> like it's it's all over the this script are like little little ways either slash marks or parentheses or things like that to try to to try to capture that sort of like fast paced interrupty sort of stinted awkwardness of friends coming back together for the first time. Yeah, the dialogue is written so well and I think you mentioned in your synopsis too that these are like these are like brilliant people, right? They're like nuclear yeah. physicists. And when you get brilliant people in conversation, they're so quick-witted. They're so clever. They're so, they speak at such a high level. And so the dialogue itself is mesmerizing. The conversation, even when it's seemingly, of course we know it's never, but it's seemingly about nothing, is just interesting in, in the way that they speak to each other. I love all the specificity too when they talk about the different, like high level disciplines like neuroscientists yeah. geneticists and physicists and and all and you know heart surgeons and they they talk as one of the many like true experts in the world but experts in this one sliver of a thing and what it's like to be an expert in one sliver of a thing when there are experts in other little slivers of a thing throughout the world and what what is that existence like yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, what is it like when someone looks at the all of those people with slivers of expertise and like, 
you're all scientists. Like how, how, how that sort of like oddity is, all that sort of stuff. This play has so much to say. We're, there's, there's so many more different facets that we could, I feel like, zoom in on. Certainly like whole lines of conversation um, that these characters have that could be focused on. Alas, the parameters of time have once again come a calling for us. And we are coming down to the end of the podcast. But we'd love to keep chatting about this play with all of you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. We also have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on any of those sites. We'd love to keep chatting about the children with you. Absolutely. If you liked this conversation or any of our other conversations, please pass us on to your family, your friends, anybody you know that likes theater, likes scripts, likes stories, conversations about writing and such like that. Send them our way. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and the other places where you normally find podcasts. You can also like our Facebook page and a link to the new episode will appear every Monday right there for you to click and listen. Until next week, when we're back with another great script, I'm Jacob. And I'm Jackson. Thanks for listening to No Script, the podcast. No Script.